Pastor Ed Taylor says, don't forget how the story ends. It'll help you press on in the Lord through this present crisis. I know we don't know how our personal situation is going to end. I know we don't know when it's going to be over for us. I know that in our own personal lives, what we're battling, what we're struggling, we have the hope of heaven and we know eternally it's going to end. But will it end if ever here on earth? We don't know. But the good news is that the entirety of the story is already written. And God has laid it out for us of the victory that he gives to us. And the armies riding with them, which is us, the church, after the rapture, we come back to defeat the Antichrist and to be brought about to bring an end to all of the chaos and confusion that this one world government has brought on. This is amazing grace. This is unfailing love. From Calvary Church in Aurora, Colorado, comes another edition of Abounding Grace. So glad you could make it as we dive deeper into Daniel with Pastor Ed Taylor. We'll finish up chapter 11 in just a moment, and we'll be getting to know the Antichrist, who will be the exact opposite of Christ. But first, Pastor Ed is with me, and Ed, your sermon title caught my eye, Trusting an Unknown Future to a Well-Known God. With all that transpired in the U.S. election and the global pandemic, many of our listeners no doubt have some serious questions about their future, as well as the future of America. What do you do, and how are we to think when we don't know the future? Well, I think it's super important, Larry, for us to remember to keep our eyes on the Lord. Hebrews chapter 12, we're given insight exactly how to do this. It says, therefore, since we also are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight and the sin which so easily ensnares us, and let us run with endurance the race that's set before us, looking unto Jesus. That means to stare. Looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, sat down at the right hand of the throne of God, consider him who endured such hostility from sinners against himself. And this is absolutely certain. God is not surprised by the outcome of the election. He's not surprised by the effects of this global pandemic. He's not surprised by the government overreach and the decisions that are being made by different people and authority. Uh, It hasn't shaken him. It hasn't dislodged him from his place of sovereign control and authority, even though at times it shakes us. And that that truth, as we share in our Bible study today, that truth about trusting what we don't know to the God that we do know is so vital. And it's something that's developed over time. Uh, It's developed through habit and repetition And so I want to encourage you, maybe the election didn't happen the way you wanted it. Trust God. Perhaps the global pandemic has brought sickness or even death into your family. If it has, I'm very sorry, and I would encourage you to trust God. Uh, Maybe the other things that 
are in effect like your job or finances are out of, out of whack, I would encourage you to trust God. We trust God in the good times, and we trust God in the challenging times, and, and I know it's worth it, and I know 100% on the authority of God's Word and personal experience, God is worthy of our trust. He's trustworthy. Thanks, Pastor Ed. So with that as a backdrop, let's turn to Daniel chapter 11 and hear what it has to say about the Antichrist. Notice in verse 36, also his prosperity. The Antichrist will be very prosperous. It says in the second half there, he will succeed, but only until the time of the wrath of God, only till the time of wrath is completed. It's a great tribulation period. Is God pouring upon, pouring out his wrath upon Christ-rejecting men and women. And you just read it through of, of the trumpets and the, the, the seals, the trumpets, the bowls, and just wrath after wrath. And instead of repenting, people would rather say, just let the rocks fall on me. People will be trying to end their life, and they, can, they can't during the Great Tribulation period. Instead of just surrendering, and just, instead of just repenting. And he'll be prosperous. But I want you to notice his prosperity has a time limit on it. The devil has a time limit. He's not going to have full reign forever. And you think about some of the battles that you go through, some of the issues in your life right now, and it just feels like it's going on forever. And you don't see a way out. You don't see it ever ending. You don't see it ever changing. And it discourages you because the reality of the situation is ever before you. And you didn't make it up. It is real, whatever it might be. There's real situation, real warfare, real difficulty, and you've gotten into a mode of being un, up under the weight of that difficulty, and now you don't see it ending. And you, you look at somebody like the Antichrist and go, why does he get away with it? But he's not getting away with anything. He's a tool of God in the last days. That there is no power that's not under the power of God. God is the supreme power. And everything that passes into your life and mine is father-filtered. He's allowed it into your life. Sometimes he sends it into our lives. As we've learned with storms, sometimes God will literally send us into a preordained storm. But nothing comes into your life that hasn't passed through the Father first. It's filtered by a sovereign care and concern. We think we know what's best for us, but God knows what's best for us. And we trust him with our lives. I think back to when you were born again. It was such an exciting time. Many of us came to the altar praying because our lives were really jacked up and upside down and we're going nowhere. And, and not only going nowhere, but sin was ruining and rotting our lives. And, and the gospel of Jesus Christ, you, you might be listening, watching right now, you're like, Ed, that's me. My life is rotting away. It's ruined. My relationships are broken and I'm addicted and I'm running and I'm, and, and here you are tuned in and God is presenting to you the good news of the gospel like he presented to us. That God loves you. And, and he loves you not even in the condition you're in right now. He, he loved you at the worst condition. There you are sitting in a jail cell, wondering, and just buried under the shame. You know, you made a mistake, but shame has taken hold of you, and now you think you're the mistake. But you're not the mistake. You're a man, you're a woman that has made mistakes. Again, mistake is an easier word to swallow, but the Bible says that you've not just made a mistake, you've sinned against a holy and a righteous God. That's why it hurts so much. It's not just some little mistake, you know, I dialed a wrong number or I made a wrong turn. Sin is against a holy and a righteous God. And the Bible says that the wages of sin is death. 
And it's not just death at the end of life, but it's the death of dreams, it's the death of relationships, it's the death of hope, it's the death of joy. I I mean, sin wreaks havoc in lives. And here you are and here we were walking into a church to hear about the love of God. Just to think that God, my creator, as bad as it is and as bad as I am, sent his son Jesus Christ to die for me. And there actually is hope for my life. That this isn't the end. That, that it's, it's bad, but it doesn't have to stay bad. And it's going to get worse, but it doesn't have to get worse. And I'm telling you today that Jesus Christ, he came. Well, let, let me read it to you. Many times I quote it, but let me just read it to you. So the power of God's word. If you want to take your Bibles, you're following along. Just go over to John 3 with me. We so many times camp on John 3, 16. And I want to share that with you. But I want you to hear what else Jesus said. You might be surprised that Jesus is the one that taught us this truth. For this is how God loved the world, that he gave his own one and only son, so that everyone who believes in him will not perish, but have everlasting life. For God so loved the world, he gave his only begotten son, that whosoever would believe in him will not perish, but have everlasting life. That's probably how you remember it. And it's so good. It's the gospel. It's the good news that today, In just a few moments, you can receive the Lord Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins. But listen to what else Jesus says. God sent his son into the world, not to judge the world, but to save the world through him. There is no judgment against anyone who believes in him. Did you hear that? There's no judgment to anyone that believes in him. But anyone who does not believe in him has already been judged for not believing in God's one and only son. That's the problem. It's not all the things you've done. It's not all the bad decisions you've made. It's not the addiction that you present yourself to, although those are all painful difficulty. This is the issue. Anyone that does not believe in him has already been judged. You're living under the judgment of God. You're living apart from your life source. He says the judgment is based on this fact. This is the judgment. God's light came into the world, but people love darkness more than the light for their actions were evil. Who do you love today? The own darkness of your life? I mean, if you think about it, you know, nobody, nobody loves darkness like really willingly, but you know, you feel trapped and now you're gonna have to admit and you're gonna have to come clean and you're gonna have to leave some things and you have to say no to other things and you're gonna have to admit how weak you are. But if you've been with us for this whole time, you know, one of our prayers, one of the, time, one of the things we were praying and we encourage you to pray was about the weakness in life matched with God's strength and to admit that you're weak. And so I want to encourage you today and just again in a few moments, I want to encourage you to surrender your life by repenting of your sins, by acknowledging them before God. Because in that moment, your life is just filled with hope. It's just so exciting. It's so, you're just in great anticipation of what it could become. You were right on the edge. Everything was just about destroyed and then God rescued you pulled you out. There's actually a place in the Bible that talks about how, how exciting it was to be pulled out of the quicksand, out of the muck and the mire, and just the being stuck. And God wants to unstuck you and move you forward and, and do a great work in you and through you if you'll just surrender. Jesus said if you want to follow him, you need to first deny yourself. It's one of the most challenging things in our lives to deny ourselves, to acknowledge that we've given up our rights and our privileges in order to follow God's plan for our life. The Antichrist is prosperous, but just for a time. And even what you're facing right now, it's just for a time. 
This world is not all there is. There's a physical and a spiritual. And the Lord Jesus Christ is coming again. So on the negative side, the Antichrist is going to be very successful, very rich. He's going to be in that political sphere where the whole world, I mean, he's going to have the riches of the whole world. I'd say that's pretty rich. Uh, and, and the whole world is going to be looking to him for help. Thirdly, one, he's, he's arrogant. Number two, he's prosperous. Number three, I want you to notice in verse 37, his rebellion against re- religion. It says, he had no respect for the gods of his ancestors or the God loved by women or for any other God. So everything is off limits for him, not just Christianity, not just Judaism. Now, because of this one verse, some scholars, commentators believe that the Antichrist will be Jewish because of this phrase, neither the gods of his fathers, but we don't know for sure. It's just conjecture. Number four, not only is he rebellious against all religion, because he's going to, why would he do that? I mean, you guys that are familiar already, you know, he's created his own. <laughs> so he's made himself God. So of course he's going to rebel against any kind of organized religion, any truth telling. He's going to put to death people preaching the gospel. It's going to be vicious in the great tribulation. Uh, but also notice uh, in verse 37, he has no regard for the desire of women, or in the New Living Translation, uh, it talks about, they, they translate this, the God loved by women. Now, some have suggested by this verse uh, that the, the Antichrist will be homosexual, uh, but the phrase desire of women, or translated here, the God, of, um, the God loved by women, um, really just could also refer to, and more often refers to in the Hebrew, uh, that the, the mom's desire to birth Messiah. So kind of a Jewish connotation here, not necessarily pointing toward homosexuality, but some people believe that. And I wanted to throw that out there just in case you run across some uh, YouTube video and it's out there, uh, you know what the Bible has to say and that this phrase actually could mean something else. Uh, and it most likely means that. Also in verse 38, I want you to notice he has confidence in his military might. As you notice, instead of these, he'll worship the God of fortresses which is basically saying that he'll trust in military. He is the exact opposite of what God desires. Remember Antichrist? He's the exact opposite of Christ. Remember anti has two meanings, opposite and in place of, and he's both. And remember all the way back David, David being a type of Jesus, all the way back in David, what was David and the kings of Israel told not to do? Don't trust in, hor- and, and, uh, don't trust in chariots. Don't trust in horses. Don't trust in your military might. Even for David, don't count them. Because if you count them, you'll trust in them and you'll brag on them. But the Antichrist, he's going to trust in his military might because he will have a multinational force. He will be the head of the, the worldwide military. But then also notice in verse 39, it says, he claims this foreign God's help. He will attack the strongest fortresses and he will honor those who submit to him appointing them to positions of authority and dividing the land among them as rewards. And so he's got all this gifts. He's using money to buy favor. And then he's going to go after other, uh, anyone that resists him. And, and though in the spoils, he's going to give all the spoils to those that were loyal to him. And that's a, really a false loyalty because they're just in it to get something from him anyway. Then notice verse 40, we learn of his destruction. His destruction. Then at the time of the end, the king of the south will attack the king of the north. The king of the north will storm out with chariots, charioteers and a vast navy. He will invade various lands and sweep through them like a flood. He will enter the glorious land of Israel and many nations will fall. But Moab, Edom and the best part of Ammon will escape. He'll conquer many countries and even Egypt will not escape. 
He will gain control over the gold, silver, and treasures of Egypt, and the Libyans and Ethiopians will be his servants. But then news from the east and the north will alarm him, and he will set out in great anger to destroy and obliterate many. He will stop, verse 45, between the glorious holy mountain and the sea and will pitch his royal tents. And while he is there, his time will suddenly run out and no one will help him. As his control grows, the Arabs will push at him. The Egyptian will begin to wage war with him in the middle of the great tribulation period. And, and they'll begin to cry out, we don't want this man to rule over us anymore. And where is he ruling from? Jerusalem. Why? Because Jerusalem is the epicenter of prophecy. Just pay attention to Jerusalem. Pay attention to what's happening there. Israel's caught in the middle again. Again, for homework, Ezekiel 38 and 39 describes how the king of the north comes down prophetically and defeats him and comes into Israel. And notice in verse 45, no one comes to help him. He'll be all alone. And it will be overwhelming. Would you turn over to Revelation chapter 19? I want to close here. It takes some time to remind you of the truthfulness of Daniel, but I want to close here in Revelation 19 verse 11. It's so encouraging. It says, Then I saw heaven opened, and a white horse was standing there, and its rider was named Faithful and True. For he judges fairly and rages a righteous war. His eyes were like flames of fire, and his head were many crowns. A name was written on him that no one could understand except himself. He wore a robe dipped in blood, and his title was the Word of God. The armies of heaven dressed in its finest of pure white linen followed him on white horses. And from his mouth came a sharp sword to strike down the nations. And he'll rule them with an iron rod and release the fierce wrath of God, the Almighty, like juice flowing from a wine press. And on his robe at his thigh was written this title, King of all kings and Lord of of all lords. It's at this point in Daniel that Revelation 19 comes and the armies riding with him to bring great defeat and it's over. And that's one of the encouraging things about the Bible. I know we don't know how our personal situation is going to end. I don't know. I know we don't know when it's going to be over for us. I know that in our own personal lives, what we're battling, what we're struggling, we have the hope of heaven and we know eternally it's going to end. But will it end if ever here on earth? We don't know. But the good news is that the entirety of the story is already written. And lay, God has laid it out for us of the victory that he gives to us. And the armies riding with him, which is us, the church, after the rapture, we come back to defeat the Antichrist. And to be brought about to bring an end to all of the chaos and confusion that this one world government has brought on. And God is going to use us. And as we were reading through and studying through the book of Daniel, remember God is trustworthy. We've learned about Daniel the man, and we've also learned about Daniel the prophet. And in his prophecies, God is very precise, very specific. That's why when I'm praying, in my mind, I don't always ask for it, but in my mind, I want a precise word. I want to pray, and I, I want to intercede for you, but I want God to give me a word. Because I know he can. I know he can be very precise. Even as I'm sharing it, I'm not entirely sure if it's from the Lord or not. I mean, it squares with the scriptures and, and I'm sharing it. And, and I might even say, you know, I just think the Lord wants me to share this with you and, and I give it to you that it could just be, and it's happened many times, where it's just a precise word in answer to a prayer or a thought or an issue that's been on your heart. So can I encourage you to do the same thing when you're praying? When you're praying for someone, when you're praying about what to text, 
you know, right now it's a good time to pull out your, your contact list and start reaching out to people you haven't talked to in a while. Maybe even folks that, that you haven't seen in a while. Folks that used to be your neighbors or you lived in another part of town or another state even. Maybe family you haven't connected with. And just reach out to them and ask for the Lord to give you a precise word. And then whatever he gives you, just give it away. Because in Daniel's word, you, know, you saw he got dreams and visions. He's got 21 days of praying and then he gets this revelation of this man. And like, I, I don't know about you, but that would overwhelm me. I would start to question if it's even an answer from God. But not only was it an answer from God, but it was precise. God unveiling to Daniel and to us things that would come to pass precisely, specifically, not only in the first 69 weeks of Daniel, but also in that final week that's still yet to come. And the prophecies in Daniel were so detailed that the skeptics, even to this day, believe and teach that Daniel didn't write the book. And that if you even do say that Daniel wrote it, that he wrote it long after these events took place. And as we've studied previously, there would be great difficulties in seeing this as anything other than God speaking into the future. And remember, we settled it uh, in our studies. You can, in our previous studies in the introduction, that it settles it because Jesus Christ believed in Daniel's writing and even referred to him as what? Daniel the prophet. And Jesus Christ taught us to trust what Daniel wrote. The book itself is claimed to be written by Daniel at least 15 times. You can write them down if you want. Daniel 7.2, Daniel 8.1, Daniel 9.2, Daniel 10.7, and Daniel 12.4 are just a few. 7.2, 8.1, 9.2, 10.7, 12.4. And sometimes I'm asking you to take notes and you go, well, what's the big deal? Because I'm telling you, you're going to meet someone somewhere shopping in Walmart at a park and they're going to try to trip you up with Daniel. They're going to trip you up with something and, the, and the answer, they're going to be so slick because they're only trained to confuse you with a certain few arguments. But when you know the word and you study it for yourself, you begin to go, what do you mean Daniel didn't write? At least 15 times he said he wrote it. Are you, do you believe, well, you know, somebody else wrote, well, just what does the Bible say? Let's just stick with that. And even more important, as we mentioned in Matthew 24, verse 15, Jesus said, Therefore, when you see the abomination of desolation spoken of by Daniel the prophet standing in the holy place, whoever reads, let him understand. And that, according to Matthew, settles it for me. The thing, many of the things that Jesus affirmed, Adam and Eve, marriage between one man, one woman, one lifetime, Noah, the ark, the worldwide flood, a literal creation account, all, many of the things that Jesus affirmed is what the critics like to go after. And you know, we may not be the best Bible scholars. We may never know the Hebrew or the Greek inside and out. We may never know, we may never have the kind of mind that can memorize entire books of the Bible, but we can have the mind of Christ. <laughs> he has given us the mind of Christ. And when we trust him and what he taught us, we can go back and begin to validate exactly what is true in God's word and let the skeptics continue to be liars and let every word of God be true in your life. Amen. 
This is Abounding Grace with Pastor Ed Taylor. He's leading a study from Daniel. You can find our studies online at AboundingGraceRadio.com, and they're accessible through our app, too. Do a search for Calvary Aurora in the App Store or Google Play. Here in the month of December, we picked out a timely resource we think you'll enjoy and get a lot out of. It would even make a great Christmas gift. It's called The Case for Christmas. So who was in the manger that first Christmas morning? Not everyone agrees on the answer to that. If he was the divine son of God, how do you know for sure? Well, Lee Strobel investigates in The Case for Christmas, and we'll send it to you when you support Abounding Grace with a gift of $25 or more today. Please make your request by phone at 877-30-GRACE. Also remember that it's through your support that we're able to bring Abounding Grace to your radio station every day. With your help, countless thousands of people are hearing the truth of God's Word all over the nation and world. At a time in human history when they really need to hear it, too. We can be reached toll-free at 877-30-GRACE. Or you can make a donation online at AboundingGraceRadio.com. Set aside another half hour to join us tomorrow when we'll dig deeper into Daniel with Pastor Ed Taylor here on Abounding Grace. This is amazing grace. Abounding Grace is brought to you by Calvary Church, Colorado, here in Aurora.